in the uh, family worship. And so uh, with that, we're going to jump into our next book, our next minor prophet. And this is Micah, right? And so the name Micah uh, is the root for Michael. And you all know, if you don't know, I can remind you of what the meaning of the name Michael means. Uh, Micah is the real root word, and so it means one who resembles the Lord. See, Micah, I told you, man, we're talking about you all day, right? You are, you're, you're, you're the star of the show today, right? One who resembles the Lord, and as your parents have thought, Michael, that's all they've ever said, man, he's just a perfect little angel. That's, they've never said anything bad about you. The book of Micah is a poetic book. It's, uh, if you're not into poems, then it's not going to be an easy read for you. Uh, Micah served and authored his book about the same time that Isaiah did. They, they both overlapped the kingdoms that they, that they were working with. Micah, in his book, when you read it, he exposed corruption in Judah on every level of society. The rulers, the prophets, the priests, they were all unjust. They were corrupt. The people oppress the poor, and they worship idols. And so Micah alternates between words of judgment and words of forgiveness and restoration. So the structure of the book is judgment. You read through it, it's judgment, followed by God is willing to forgive you. There is hope, and there can be restoration. Followed by judgment, followed by forgiveness and hope and restoration. That's the pattern of this book of poems that you find when you read through Micah. Micah also warned the people that Assyria would come and overthrow Judah. That they would come into the southern kingdom and pillage Jerusalem. And then later on, an even bigger, badder army in Babylon would come and take people into captivity. That's Micah. So we begin chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you, listen earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and he treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? This is Parenting 101. That's what this is. That's what you see here. You've been there. You've been on this trip. Kids are in the back. They're in the back seat. They're in the third row. If you have a third row, they're in the way back, and they're misbehaving. They're going back and forth at one another, and, and, and mom and dad's like, all right, I've had enough. 
Stop it. Quit talking. Quit talking to each other. Don't look at him. Leave each other alone. Moms and dads, they, they, they do whatever. They, they, they verbally warn them to stop the bad behavior. Let's see. All right, I got two sisters talking to each other right now. Y'all were back there like, yeah, I remember this time when you were back there, right? They're blaming each other, right? Any, any other, we, got, we got siblings in here. Y'all have been there before. You're, you're, you're doing this. And here's the thing that happens when moms and dads do this. The kids might stop for a minute, but then they go right back to it. And, and then comes another stern warning. You stop it. Quit doing it. And then it happens again. And this is what's said. Don't make me pull this car over. Now, some of y'all have no idea what that means. You've never heard it before. You, you should have heard it. I can tell you that right now. All right? Don't make me pull this car over. And as kids, I remember, you're like, I ain't going to pull this car over. Man, dad, dad's trying to beat his record of where we're going right now. There's no way they're pulling the car over. And, and, and then the car gets pulled over. And right there on the side of the road, the backside gets warmed up about 15 to 20 degrees. And then that loosens up some of the earwax. Now, for those of you who don't know, there is scientific proof, okay, that there is a strong connection between spanking a child and them having improved listening skills. It's scientific proof. If, if you don't believe me, try it a couple times. I'm telling you right now, it worked. Now, my dad was like, you know what, if we just eat that backside up a little bit, he'll listen a lot better. And I always did. May have not lasted, but I listened a lot better. Verse 3 says that God is coming down from his dwelling place. It's like you've been warned, people, of idol worship. You have been warned of your mistreatment of your own people. And God is essentially saying, I'm pulling the car over. But he's not using a belt. He is using another nation, the Assyrian army, to come in and to clean house. And that has been a reoccurring theme in all of these minor prophets, that it is not beneath the sovereign Lord of the universe to use pagan territories to correct the behaviors of his people. And that is the message to Micah. It overlaps with what some of the things that Isaiah says, that because of your behavior and your treatment of your own people, the Assyrian army is going to come in here and annihilate you. And whoever's left, the Babylonian army is going to come in here and take you into captivity. And verse, verse 5 says that all this is because of Jacob's transgression. That's Israel. Jacob's transgression. Because of the sins of the people. Now, praise the Lord. God doesn't just allow the people to suffer without the option of hope, without forgiveness, without the opportunity to be restored. And it doesn't matter what the past is. It doesn't matter what, what you look at in your transgressions. And you look back and think, man, I've done a lot of wrong. I've, I've done a lot of things. You, Michael, you just don't know my past. There, there's all kinds of things that are back there that I just don't think I can be forgiven. I'm telling you right now. 
You cannot out the amount of forgiveness that God has for your life. We cannot wrap our minds, church, around the grace that flows lavishly from who God is and the nature of God into our lives. And chapter 5 gives us the ultimate hope. Now we're jumping ahead. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of, clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who was in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace. When the, when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders, who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod, one of my favorite Bible words, with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. He makes it very clear. The consequences are set in motion. Your actions that you, your, your choices that you make, that there's consequences that follow. And he says it right here in this text, you're going to be abandoned because of your consequences to the choices we make. Verse 3 says, Israel will be abandoned. We felt abandoned before in our lives, haven't we? We have felt this abandonment until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. And Micah is telling of the coming Savior, our ultimate hope. That even though we are living in the land of exile, we eagerly await His return. Now the people that actually had the Assyrian army you know, beating down upon them, they probably didn't grasp fully what was happening. And they were like, where, where is this one who bears a son? Where is this one that is going to offer peace? And the message to the people, to those, to the remnant that was left behind, to those who have been taken off into captivity, no matter what our circumstances are, He will be our peace. Doesn't matter right now. We met at breakfast today, Mike and Perry and I, to talk about some things. Half our conversation was about the frustration of, of, of Stella not getting to go on this trip. The other half of the conversation was about people in our lives just sitting at the table who are, who are dealing right now with, with serious sicknesses, serious illnesses, cancers. No matter what your circumstances are right, are right now, your faith in Him can be your peace, whether you're in captivity whether you're the remnant left behind. And with the coming Savior, church, comes restoration. 
Now, when I was walking through this this week, this is the most popular verse in Micah. And, and my prayer for you, the church, my prayer for me, is that we will desire to do the things that please God. That, that we're going to want to want to do it. In Micah 6, verses 7 and 8, part of this restoration is offered right here. And verse 7 reads, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is about our human nature. He's addressing, is the Lord really going to be pleased with a thousand rams? It's about rituals. It's about behaviors that God desires, that we desire or hopefully will desire to participate in. Verse 7 is about, about giving. That, that's, that's what he is addressing here. Because what, does the, what do the people do? The people do what we do. We revert to giving as an obligation to our failures, to our sins. I'll, I'll, I'll give more. I'll, 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 I'll give more rams. I'll give more olive oil. We don't give out of a response of love based on what he has done in our lives. And, 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 and that's what he's saying right there in verse 7. You can give thousands of rams. God doesn't care. He owns them all already anyway. Like we think we can give him rivers of olive oil. It's like I own the river and the olive oil. I own the olive trees. It's all mine already. And you think you're going to give it back to me to, to, to get on my good side? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? No, it says. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. If you're just sitting at home today, bored, go read through the book of Deuteronomy. See how many different places in the old of Mosaic law where, where this theme of what God wants and how it compares to Micah 6, 8. God's always wanted the same thing. He shows you what is good. And so Micah, what he's doing here is he is addressing the social injustices that were taking place with God's chosen people. National leaders of the kingdoms were taking advantage of the people they were leading. The priests were abusing their authority over those making sacrifices at the temples. Prophets were manipulating the message of God for their own financial benefit. We, we, we look around right now and we see the TV preachers and we see all the prosperity stuff and we see the guys that own jets and 
you know, I got a church over here in the East Coast and a church over in the West Coast. And, you know, I'm that important, so I need y'all to give lots of big money and everything so I can preach here, and then I can fly across the country and, and, and preach over there, and then I can use the jet to go down to Cabo when I need to the rest of the time and all that kind of stuff because it's the Lord's thing, you know. But keep giving and keep giving and keep giving and keep giving and keep giving because it, it's, 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 it's for the kingdom. We, we see it all the time right now. So all these leaders, the national government leaders, the priestly order, the prophets, Micah's like, you all are taking advantage of the people. And he picks a fight with them, if you really read it, and get into chapters 2 and 3. He, like, he stands up and says, let's go, let's go prophets, let's go priests. Let, 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 let's go, you government, you kings. Let's talk about this. You're taking advantage of the people. So he writes, what's the Lord want from you? That's a good question. Like, I mean, I would like pay attention here. Really and truly pay attention. <clears throat> we get into church and we get into studying the Bible, and it's like, man, God's complex and he's all this. No, right here, he's about to answer. He's about to put this on elementary, he's about to put this on Michael level. Okay? Alright, that's what he's doing. He's putting it on Michael level. What's the Lord want from you? Act justly. Well, what's that? What's that mean? To treat people the way you desire to be treated. Even when you're not treated how you desire, act justly. Even when you're treated wrong, even when you're treated unfair, even when you're being manipulated, how do I respond? How do I treat people? I don't retaliate. No psych's household. It wasn't we get even. It was we get ahead. You wrong me, we're going to wrong you back more. Not in God's economy. He's talking to the people. You've been mistreated by your leaders. How do you treat them? Treat them the way you want to. You act just. And then he says you love mercy. Now, I, I love this, and a couple of you know that I, that I love this. The Hebrew word here is hased. Not it's like he said, but hased. I'm taking two books with me, two physical books. Got my iPad's got everything on it, but I'm taking two physical books with me to Zimbabwe. A Bible, actually a real Bible, big print that I can read, and a book about this topic of hased. Hased, if you don't know, is the Hebrew word for agape. You're familiar with that because you've been around church enough to know. Oh, agape, love, the serious love, the sacrificial love, the loyal love. This is the Hebrew word. And something struck me not too long ago that, that, that when we're, we're studying God and who he is, like this sacrificial love all of a sudden comes on the scene once Jesus is here. And in the Greek, it's agapo, and, and it means that it, it's this unconditional love, sacrificial love for people with no strings attached. I'm like, well, is this a new concept? Because God is love. The Hebrew word is hased, and hased is a complex word, and, and, and there's different variations of spellings, and they mean something different. And, and so there's this, this same thing. It's kind of like the word there. Some of y'all still struggle with the use of the word there. There's there, there, and there. It's the same spoken word. It's different spellings. 
with different uses. Okay? Same thing with hased. It's the same spoken word, different spellings, different uses. And the version of hased here is to love mercy in our relationships. It means that we should carry through on the commitments to one another to take care of needs. Perry and Ed, I gotta, I'm going to brag about them for a second. They, they, they've been a wonderful model of Hesed. Perry and Ed, and Ed's not here. Y'all can tell him I bragged about him. They take turns every Sunday chauffeuring Mr. Jimmy and Miss Patsy to and from church and then back home. They'll take them to doctor's appointments, sit with them. Mr. Jimmy, like, he just rolls in up here and snaps his fingers and people bring coffee to him, too. Yeah, I don't like it. I mean, he's, he's making the best of his situation, for sure. But every Sunday, they sacrifice and they go out of their way. Why? Because they understand love mercy. Someone has a need. Littles would not be able to come to church. They would not be able to sit back there and participate if somebody did not go and get them and bring them here. Like, like, like that's the unfortunate thing that, uh, that, that life has brought to them in this season right now. And they desire to be here. They desire to be with you. They desire to see you. But they cannot do it. They're at the mercy of somebody else. And so Ed and Perry say, we understand Hesed. Someone has a need. I'm willing to sacrifice my time, my effort, my energy to meet the need. To love mercy. And then he says, walk humbly with God. Now, now I'm telling you right now, if, if I'm writing this and, uh, and I'm not, I'm like, hey, let's put God first. Walk humbly with God. But Micah's like, here's the order of this. People, and treating them the way, and seeing them the way that God sees them, and walk humbly with God. Let me ask you, church, do you desire to do what God wants for your life? Now, I mean, like, I want you to think about that question. Do you really desire to do what God wants for your life? Because here's the thing. It's consistent through all of us. Now, it may meet us at different seasons and different places of where we are. But the outcome and the desire is always the same. To take you from the center that you are to be restored into the likeness of Jesus, His Son. That's why it's our vision around here. We desire that all of us become like Jesus. And so to walk humbly with God, we must ask this question. Do I, Michael, do I desire to do what God wants for my life? Now here's the thing. There, there's obedience out of obligation. We talked about this a little bit yesterday in my men's group. Uh, not to pick on Griffin. But uh, yesterday, you know, get a trip coming up. We're going we're gonna, to we, we're gonna, we're gonna cut grass. Told him about it. Now, he's, he's 20. He's got his calendar. He's got his schedule. 
uh, but he still lives at home. And I'm like, hey, dude, uh, it's, it's Saturday. We're doing this. And, and like, it's the, hey, we're leaving for a while, so we're scalping that bad boy. We're, we're doing what my barber did, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're going down bare bones. It's going to be at Charlie, like you. Yeah. And, and, and I'm like, he's going to do it out of obligation. It's not what he wants to do. The desires of his heart is to be with his girlfriend at Blake or wherever they're going to be. That's the desires of his heart. But out of obligation to the Sykes household and, and, and living there, and Mama taking him grocery shopping before she leaves, he's doing out of obligation. I've been there. I did it all the time. Trust me. I'm not, not picking on it. So there's obedience out of obligation. And then there's obedience out of desire to please someone that you love. We can go through the motions of being obedient and doing the stuff that God wants out of obligation to this is what the Bible says, i got to do it because I'm a Christian, I'm a follower. Or we can do it, we can be obedient out of the desire to please God. It's, it's what we as parents want for our children. We want them to want to do the right thing. We want them to want to do the things that honor the family name. That's what we want as parents. It's what God desires of us that we walk humbly with Him. And you do not walk humbly with the Lord when you act out of obligation. When you do it because, oh, i got to do this. But when we come before the Lord and we say, not my ways, Lord, but yours. When we do that, that's walking humbly with the Lord. So that's what he wants. The Lord wants from us. He wants us to act justly, to, to see people the way he sees them and to treat one another the way we desire to be treated. He, he wants us to love mercy. He wants us to, to have this hased for one another. He wants us to walk humbly with him. In the book ends, towards the end, Micah chapter 7. In this, this beautiful end of the poem. And in just a minute, we're going into communion. Right? But Micah tells the people in chapter 7, who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his God, you don't stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our ancestors in days long ago. This is Micah realizing who this God is that's giving him this message. He's like, he's like I've, I've written this message down from you. And it's full of judgment. And then it's, it's full of forgiveness. And it's full of hope with restoration. And then it's full of judgment. And then it's full of forgiveness and hope and restoration. And, and, and then Micah gets it. There's coming this Messiah. 
who's going to be the sacrifice for all of humanity. Micah's like, who? Who is a God like you? I mean, he's pretty familiar with the gods because there's a whole lot of idol worship going on. Like blatant, right there in front of them, idol worship. None of these other gods offer this. You're the only God who can pardon sin and forgive the transgression of those who have sinned against you. Church, hallelujah. He does not stay angry forever. But he delights to show mercy. And so as we wrap up, I, I mean, I ask you, I ask you about your relationship with the Lord. We've talked a lot about complacency. We've talked a lot, a lot about spiritual idleness and just going through the motions. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe there's grievances and, and grudges against other people that you've been harboring, that you've been holding on to. And maybe you just are distant from the Lord. As we go into a time of communion, the mic's about to come up after I pray. I want you to know, church, that he's not going to stay angry forever. And he desires for you to come to the altar and to lay these sins at the feet of the cross and say, these are in my past. Because there is no other God like him. So as we take a couple of moments, pray, process this in our own lives, I ask you to always do what David did. Examine yourself. Be honest with yourself. What's my relationship with the Lord right now? Am I living in rebellion and there is no relationship with the Lord? Well, I want you to hear me. He died on a cross for you. And there's only one way to the Father. And it's through the Son. We gotta believe in Him and we gotta we gotta act on that. And then there's maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, you know, I'm just idle. I'm placing. Right now in your seats, you can go before the Lord, you can repent. And then we can remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. Father, we love you and thank you for this day. We thank you for the message of Micah. God, we don't like the judgment. But you're perfect. And you can't help but judge the fallen creation that we are. But as he writes right there, you, you don't stay angry forever. Your wrath is not eternal. Your grace is. Your forgiveness is. And so, Father, I, I pray once again that we heed the instructions found within these, these messages to nations of old. Father, may your word meet us where we are, and may we respond. If it is a first time surrendering our lives to you, then Father, I pray that that's what we do. If, if it is 
I have no relationship with the Lord and I want to have this relationship with the Lord, then, then, I, then I pray that, that you, people will come and ask me. They'll, they'll seek me out. They'll do whatever it takes. Father, if, if it is... I've been living in a sin. A mission. Whatever. Whatever the sin is, God. May we take this moment as we remember the sacrifice to repent of those sins and to be restored. May we experience the peace that comes having Jesus. We pray these things in your son's name.